Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to conduct to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Thank you, Ron. We are returning to our study of the book of Romans this morning. Uh, It's been several weeks since we were last here, and so I thought it'd be fitting to do just a brief review as we return to this study. Just a brief overview of the letter, the book of Romans. A very simple, basic outline you might remember if if you've been with us through this for this study. Three simple words: guilt, grace, and gratitude. So in chapters 1 through 3, we saw human guilt. In Romans chapter 1, we were told that we humans, we suppress the truth about God. We worship and serve the created thing rather than the creator. In Romans chapter 3, we saw that there's no one who does good on their own, no one who seeks for God, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And later we hear that the wages of sin is death. So human guilt. And then chapters 3 through 8, we saw the grace of God in Christ Jesus. In chapter 5, we're told that God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He suffered that wage that we deserved. Romans 6 told us the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And in Romans 10, we're told that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. So we saw human guilt at the beginning of the book, then we saw the grace of God in Christ to save us from our guilt, and then now, chapters 12 through 16, we see the believer's response of gratitude. So if you have your Bibles with you and you turn back just one page, you'll see the beginning of this section, chapter 12, Paul says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So in chapter 12, we began to see the marks of a true Christian, how we can live a life of gratitude to God for his grace and saving us from our guilt. And that begins with a life of love. That was largely the focus of chapter 12. Now we come to chapter 13, and this continues. What's the true mark of a follower of Christ in society, in this world that we live in? How do we live as Christian citizens? In another letter to the church, 
In Colossians chapter 3, Paul encourages believers by telling them, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So Paul says, in whatever we do, we are to serve the Lord Christ. So I ask you, brothers and sisters, today, are you serving King Jesus in everything you do? Are you living to show that Jesus is your treasure? Are you striving to glorify God in the way you live your life as citizens under governing authorities? Is it possible that by obeying the speed limit, by getting required permits, by paying taxes, by listening to your teachers in school, praying for government leaders, treating them with respect, are these all ways that we really can fulfill our chief end, to glorify God? Are these all ways that we really can obey God and show we believe the word of God to be true? Are these all ways that we can actually show we love Jesus? Well, this passage in Romans 13 answers, yes, indeed. In fact, the main point of this passage is this. If you want to live in a way to show that Jesus is your treasure, if you want to live in a way to honor King Jesus, you will willingly submit to and obey the governing authorities that God has appointed in your life. That's the main focus of this passage this morning. I came across one commentator in my study, and I had to laugh at what he said about this passage. He said, it's only a slight exaggeration to say that the history of the interpretation of this passage is the history of attempts to avoid what seems to be its plain meaning. We don't want to do that this morning. In fact, this morning we want to begin by hearing and heeding the plain meaning of this passage. Now, today is going to be our start. We'll have at least one more sermon on this section, perhaps even more than that. But today, we're looking at the main point. And to help us do that, we just want to focus on three clear teachings in this section. The command, the foundation for the command, and then why we should obey the command. So let's begin with looking at the command. Verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Now what does this mean? To understand this command, what's being required, we begin with the subject. Who is this command for? And Paul says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Every person means, wait for it, every person. See how simple this is going to be? Just take it for the plain meaning. But the main thing you need to know is that this is a command for you, for each one of you. Yes, it's for every person, everyone, everywhere. But in acknowledging that broad application, don't miss the personal application. This is a command for you. Yes, beloved, you are required by God to obey this command. Well, okay then, what does it mean? What does it mean to be subject to the governing authorities? 
One very well-known, highly respected pastor, Colin Gingrich, said, very simply it means a willing submission that includes obedience. Now, Colin's not the only pastor who has said that. That is the plain meaning of the word. Almost every commentary will point that out. Now, just to be clear, and just so you know, you who have been waiting with anticipation, what's Troy going to say about Romans 13? We're not addressing the exceptions today. Other than, if there is a conflict, always obey God rather than men. We'll come back to that, Lord willing, in a, a future week. But here it is. If a governing authority in your life commands you to do something that God forbids, you don't do it. You don't obey the governing authority. You obey God. Or on the other hand, if a governing authority forbids you to do something that God commands, you still do it. You obey God, not the governing authority. So if there is a conflict, you always obey God rather than man. That's the basic exception. It's not our focus today. So we'll come back to the simple command. Be subject to. What does it mean? It's a willing submission that includes obedience. So the command to be subject to includes more than just obedience. Yes, it does demand obedience where there are laws, there are ordinances given to be obeyed. But to be subject to also includes a recognition, an acceptance of our God-given place under authority. It's a recognition of the divine right of the authority over us to give us laws, laws that we are then commanded to obey. It's a recognition of our subordination in this realm of civil society in which we live. We recognize the magistrate's jurisdiction and we respond by offering a willing subservience to their God-appointed and God-given authority. So to be subject to is a command to recognize authority and a willingness to comply with it. And this command is not a a one-off. It's not isolated. This is not the only place you'll find this command in the Word of God. You, You, in fact, already saw it twice in our worship service this morning. First, in our call to confession, Paul writing to Titus, and he says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities and to be obedient And our reflections page, on page two, inside the front cover, Peter includes this command. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So this is the command. Be subject to the governing authorities. Everyone, including you, is to give a willing submission that includes obedience to the governing authorities. Now, one last thing to consider in the command is the object. Who? Who are we to be subject to? Paul says the governing authorities. And he doesn't give any qualification on these governing authorities. We're to be subject to all of the authorities that God has placed in our lives. Presidents, governors, police, judges, teachers, our bosses, our parents, our church leaders. Whether you like them or not whether you voted for them or not, whether they are Christian or pagan. Paul was writing to Christians who were living under a pagan government. And he's telling them to obey a pagan emperor. Now again, in coming weeks, we'll look at the responsibility that they have. But today we begin by looking at our responsibility. 
So God gives us this command through the Apostle Paul. Paul wrote this by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, knowing that the governing authorities had put Jesus to death. He wrote this being very familiar with the Old Testament, with how God's people had suffered injustice and oppression and evil under wicked nations and rulers. He wrote this to a church. The very Christians to whom he writes in Rome had recently been forced by the Roman emperor to leave their homes and their businesses and live in exile. So in other words, Paul gives this command knowing the governing authorities may very well fail in their God-given duties and rule in an evil way that is harmful to believers. And he still gives this command. Be subject to the governing authorities. They don't have to be Christian. They don't have to rule in a manner that we approve of. They don't have to rule justly in order for us to obey them. Paul does not qualify the command or the authorities. Be subject to the authorities you voted for. Be subject to the authorities you agree with. What does that mean? He doesn't say that. That means that we are subject to the ones we didn't vote for. We're subject to the ones we don't agree with. We are commanded by God to give a willing submission that includes obedience to the authorities and their mandates, even the ones we might not understand even the ones we might not personally support, the ones we might find burdensome, as long as doing so does not require us to break God's law. Beloved, this kind of obedience shows that Jesus is our treasure. It shows that Jesus is our king. You know, we might often say, I think that law is ridiculous. I don't agree with that ruler in any way. But I will obey Because King Jesus commands me to. And because King Jesus loves me and died for me and rose again and he's coming for me. So I trust Jesus and I love him and I worship him. And King Jesus is worthy of my obedience in every area of my life. He has purchased your life with his very own precious blood. And so you are not your own. And so in view of that great mercy, I will offer my body as a living sacrifice, including how hard my foot presses on the gas pedal and how much money I report on my taxes. Beloved, you are commanded to be subject to the governing authorities that God has appointed in your life. He calls you to give a willing submission that includes obedience. This is to be your first response. The norm the pattern of your life, the default mode, the characteristic approach and attitude that you have, you shouldn't be always looking for loopholes, a way out. Believers should not be known as those who try to find their way around obedience to the laws of the land. Instead, our willing and respectful subjection and obedience should be a model to the unbelieving world around us. And we should never give ruling authorities just cause to view us as a lawless people. Beloved, our lives are to be lives of gratitude. Gratitude for the grace of Jesus that has cleansed us from our guilt. And these lives are then to be marked by a willing submission that includes obedience to the governing authorities that God himself has appointed in our lives. 
And hear me, beloved, in rendering this obedience, we bear witness, not ultimately to the authority of the governing authorities in our lives, but to the higher, the final authority of King Jesus. Why do we submit to the civil government? We submit to the civil government because we are bowing to the authority of Jesus. Now, before we move on to the foundation for this command, I want to ask you, what marked the life of Jesus? What marked the life of your Savior? And you might think first of compassion or humility or service or love. And we would say yes and amen to all of those. But we can and should also say obedience. What marked the life of Jesus? Obedience. Jesus did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. In men's prayer this week, we read from Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until it is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them, whoever teaches them, will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Think of that. Jesus, the one who gave the law, submitted himself to it. In John chapter 8, Jesus says that he always did what pleased the Father. What marked his life? Obedience. In Romans 15, Paul will tell us Jesus did not live to please himself. Galatians chapter 4, we're told that Jesus was born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. The life of King Jesus was marked by obedience. He was obedient in order to save us. It's a good thing for us his life was marked by obedience. Otherwise, there'd be no hope for us. But he was obedient in order to save us whose lives are marked by disobedience. But he has made us new. He's changed us. And he is at work in us, making us more like him, enabling us to obey him. Hebrews chapter 5 tells us that Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. John Owen says of this, this is is one special kind of obedience intended here. Namely, a submission to great, hard, and terrible things, accompanied by patience and quiet endurance and faith for deliverance from them. This Christ could not have experience of except by the sufferings he had to pass through, particularly his enduring the cross. That's exactly what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. When he tells us, that, tells us that Christ was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Beloved, your Savior, the one that God designed for you to be like, the one he is making you more like day by day, he was marked by obedience in more difficult ways than you could ever imagine in ways that you will never be called to obey. And King Jesus, your Savior, did not exalt his rights. He humbled himself. He was obedient to the point of death for the glory of God and for your salvation so that your life too can now be marked by obedience. God commands you to be subject to the governing authorities he's appointed in your life. 
and your obedience to these authorities, whether they are Christian or pagan, whether they are good or evil, is obedience to God. It's one way that you can honor King Jesus and show you truly trust him, you truly love him. And we see this in point number two, the foundation for the command. Verse one again, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Four, there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. So the foundation for this command is the ultimate authority of God Almighty. There is no authority except from God. God is the ultimate authority who institutes, who appoints all others. What do you do when you you call customer service and you don't get the answer you're looking for? You ask to speak to their supervisor, right? You want to go above them. You want to talk to the person who has the power, the authority to overrule them. So in that way, we could say that God is the supervisor of every other authority. He is the one at the top. He's the one you go to, the one with authority over every other authority. In John chapter 19, Jesus is arrested. He's taken before Pilate the governor. And Pilate is asking Jesus questions, and Jesus doesn't answer. And Pilate is offended by the lack of Jesus' response. And he puffs out his chest, and his ego is showing through. And he says, you're not going to speak to me? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know I have authority, Jesus, to release you or to have you crucified? Your life is in my hands. And what does Jesus say? He says, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. To say that the authority has been instituted by God means that every other authority in life derives their origin, their right, their power from God. Which means they have a great responsibility in how they use that. That's another sermon. But the very word for authority found here in Romans 13, it means delegated power. Power that's given to a person or a group of persons by another. And God's the one who gives that power. They've been instituted by God. Beloved, earthly authority is delegated authority. Authorities receive their right to rule from the Lord. He alone is the one who possesses authority inherently because of who he is. Pharaoh did not have this kind of inherent authority. Remember Romans chapter 9? It's been a while since we were there. But this is what the scriptures say. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose, I have raised you up. Why was Pharaoh in that position? Not because of who he was, because God put him there to accomplish his purpose. I've raised you up that I might show my power in you that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. King Nebuchadnezzar didn't have this kind of inherent authority. Remember from Daniel chapter four, that was even longer ago, we studied studied Daniel. But this most powerful king was told, you're gonna be made to eat grass like an ox. Why? Until you know that the most high 
rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Beloved, we are to be subject to the governing authorities in our lives because they've been put there by King Jesus. King Jesus reigns over, he has absolutely, he has absolute authority over absolutely everyone and everything. He has authority over the storms, the weather, the snow. Matthew chapter 8, there's a great storm. The disciples are afraid for their lives. They've been in storms before. They're afraid for their lives. And Jesus rebukes the wind and the sea. He says, peace, be still. And immediately this great calm. And you know the disciples' response? What kind of otherworldly man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Jesus has authority over supernatural, spiritual beings. Throughout the gospel, he casts out demons with a word. They fear him. They obey him. And he also told his disciples, if he wanted to, he could call down 12 legions, 72,000 angels to come to his aid. Jesus has authority over sickness, over life and death. Also in Matthew chapter 8, there's this Roman soldier. He has a servant who's paralyzed, who's suffering terribly. And Jesus says to him, I'll come, I'll come and heal him. And the soldier says, no, I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. And this soldier, he understands how authority works. So he says to Jesus, I know how this works. I've got soldiers under me. I tell one, go, and he goes. I tell one, come, and he comes. I tell one, do this, and he does it. The soldier, the Roman soldier recognizes that Jesus has that kind of authority, not just over people, but over sickness, over death, over life. He doesn't even have to go. He can just command and it will be done. And that's exactly what Jesus does. And he encourages this, he, he, he encourages this man for his faith. Jesus has authority not only over physical life and death, but over eternal life. In John chapter 17, he's praying to his father and he says, Father, you have given me authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given me. And then finally in Matthew chapter 28, as Jesus is risen from the dead and he's about to leave his disciples and ascend into heaven, what does he say? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So the foundation for this command to be subject to the governing authorities is the supremacy of King Jesus. It's the ultimate authority of God Almighty. Every authority in your life is under the supreme authority of King Jesus. Every authority in your life has been put there by God. And so to disobey these governing authorities when they lawfully exercise their authority is to disobey the Lord himself. We could also say it like this. The authorities in your life have been appointed by King Jesus and so you obey them in order to obey him. It is King Jesus you are serving. So we've considered the command. We've considered the foundation for the command. Paul also gives us three reasons to obey the command. So we finish by asking that question. Why do we obey this command? Well, verse 2 says, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. To resist or disobey the governing authorities is to disobey God. It's to rebel against God. It's to sin against God. So why should we obey this command? To obey God. 
to obey King Jesus. Second, if you do not obey, verse 2 says, those who resist will incur God's judgment. And verse 5 says, one must be in subjection to avoid God's wrath. So why obey this command? Because if you don't, you will face the righteous judgment of God. You bring his wrath upon you. And then third reason, verse 5. One must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. So, beloved, this is a heart issue. We obey this command because it's the right thing to do. Even if there's no threat of punishment, we obey because it's right. We shouldn't allow our conscience to become comfortable with disobedience or to always be on the lookout for an excuse, a way out, a loophole. No, beloved, our default mode should be submission, should be obedience. I confess that my default mode is often self-justification, particularly in this area. As I was studying and preparing for this week on this passage, there were four areas of conviction that came upon my conscience. There's probably going to be more. I hope not, but there were, there were at least four that came to my mind. And you might think they're little, but I'm just going to share a little bit with you of, of what I was thinking through as I wrestled with this passage. Four areas. Speeding, parking, jaywalking, and permits. So I thought, am I, am I really allowed to go 10 miles over the speed limit? You know, it's that buffer. Everyone says it, right? You can go 10 miles over, you won't get pulled over. Well, am I to obey because it's right, even if there's no threat of punishment? So I think I have to change the way I set the cruise control from now on. Parking. So on Wednesdays, I often go to the E-Town Public Library and study. And there's a church not far with a big parking lot. And I would often park there. And there's a sign, and I've seen the sign. That says I'm not, basically says I'm not allowed to do that. But in my mind, I think there's 20 open spots here. I know people at this church. I'm sure they wouldn't mind if I parked here. I deliberately ignore the sign. Jaywalking. Now, I can really justify this. Especially when I park in front of Made with Love, Not Gluten, right in front of the church office, and it's 10 feet to get to the door. Do I really have to walk down to the light? or the other way to the crosswalk. And here's why I don't. This is how I justified in my mind. It's actually safer for me to do this, just go straight across, because people don't stop for you in crosswalks. And they can't, I can see them better from here. I, I easily justify myself. And the last one's a hard one, the permit for the basement. As we're thinking about finishing our basement, I don't even want to know. I don't want to look it up and find out if I have to get permits, because I don't want to do that. My attitude towards these things, these governing authorities, has been wrong. It's been wrong. It's been sinful. My default mode has not been to obey King Jesus. My default mode has been to obey King Troy. It's been self-justification. I want to convince myself I'm right. It's okay. It's not a big deal. Really? But what I'm actually saying is this. I'm king of my own life. 
I can do as I please. I get to decide which laws to obey and which ones to ignore. And ultimately, this is not a matter of me disobeying civil authorities. It's a matter of me disobeying my king, King Jesus. It's a matter of me not trusting him, of not serving him in everything that I do. And how does this king respond to my sin? Beloved, he gives his life for my salvation. And when I see that, when I meditate on that, what's my response? How can it be anything other than gratitude and trust and new obedience, a new delight in his will, not mine? In 1 Peter 2, Peter says be subject. He gives us another reason to obey this command. He says be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So beloved, ultimately, the reason we obey this command to be subject to the governing authorities is for the Lord's sake, for his glory. We obey because we love King Jesus. To obey this command is one way that you show you trust and love and treasure Jesus above all else. It's one way to show that Jesus is your king. It's one way to live in view of God's mercies. It's one way to offer your very body as a living sacrifice. Now let me close with this glorious thought. All these governing authorities will one day be no more. Speed limits and permits and jaywalking and parking are all temporary. All these authorities will one day be no more. King Jesus will come and he will bring his kingdom with him and there will no longer be a need for any other delegated authorities and beloved our dual citizenship will end and only our citizenship in heaven will remain and Jesus shall reign forever and ever and we, every one of us, will no longer struggle with self-justification. Instead, we will fully delight in his reign and his rule as our Savior and our King. Amen? Amen. So until then, let us be subject to these governing authorities for the glory of King Jesus. Amen.